If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 8. And I want to talk to you about something that I believe would be very helpful and very relevant in this day and age that we live. I talked to the men briefly last night about having a good attitude toward people. And we live in a day and age and all of the things going on around us that uh, seems like something's always pressing on our spirit and on our attitude. And it's easy to be irritable and cranky. And it's easy to start looking at people and not seeing them as souls, but seeing them as sources of irritation. And listen, I'm not standing up in front of you all holier than thou. Uh, think, and I don't want anybody to think that I don't go through the same struggles that you do. Uh, if there's ever been a time in my life when it seems like something's irritating me uh, more than at other times, now has been the time. But I run to the Scripture, and I run to the Lord, and I have to continually remind myself that we have so much to be thankful for. I mean, so many blessings and so many things that God has done and is doing in our lives. And I want to draw your attention to a passage of Scripture that I hope will be a great encouragement to you this morning. We'll start in verse number 35. The Word of God says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's not a rhetorical question. It's a legitimate question that we all, at one time or another, when we're going through those dark times in life, we ask that question. Does God, does anyone really truly love me? Shall anyone separate us from the love of Christ? Paul goes on to write, he says, Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul's saying that, hey, the troubles and trials that we go through, this is not anything that's strange or unusual. It is the normal part of not only life, but particularly of the Christian life. Now notice how Paul answers this question in verse number 37. He says, nay, he says, no way. Nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ. Nay, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we read in verse number 37, Paul says that we are more than conquerors. And I want to talk to you about something this morning, about some essentials for conquering. Let's once again go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessings on His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You for the privilege to gather together today. We thank You, Lord, for the technology and the place that You provided that we can Uh, get the Word of God out, not only to our congregation, but Lord, to many others through, uh, through the web and so forth. We pray now a special blessing on every listener. We pray, God, that You'd draw us closer to You. You'd remind our hearts, Lord, that no matter how we feel and no matter what we're going through, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. And 
and your precious love for us. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the scripture says that we are more than conquerors. But you know, even though that verse applies to every single believer, no matter what we do, we don't get to experience, or rather I should say enjoy, that victory unless we practice certain essentials. Now what does it mean to conquer? It, it certainly means more than just winning. I like to compete. I grew up competing, playing sports. I mean, it didn't matter what I was playing. It could be ping pong. It could be football, baseball, basketball. It didn't matter. It could be tiddlywinks. It could, it could be sorry. Remember the game sorry that you play with your family? Uh, how about Monopoly? My sisters, they're probably, some of them are watching right now. They would cheat. And they would do all kinds of dirty tricks because I was younger than them and they'd, they try to trade, uh, trade, uh, park place for my, um, uh, or my, uh, I'm trying to get this straight in my head. They would try to trade my park place for their Baltic Avenue and tell me it was a good deal. How, how many of you had, uh, older brothers or sisters that tried to pull that one over on you? Put, stick your hand out the window. Oh yeah, mean, mean siblings. I like to win. I like to compete, but being a conqueror is much more than being a winner. To conquer means to subdue by force until resistance is no longer made. Now think about that. God says in His Word that we are more than conquerors. So to be a conqueror means to subdue your enemy so that there's no more resistance. That just seems like the extreme to me, and then God says that we're even more than that. What a great promise. You say, preacher, I don't feel like that today. Hey, are we going by feelings or are we going to trust God for His Word? Because we are more than conquerors. The conqueror is the aggressor. If you read in Ephesians chapter number 6, God talks about putting on the whole armor of God. We don't to have time this morning to study all of that armor, but if you take a look at it in Ephesians chapter number 6, you will see that there is absolutely no protection for the back part of the soldier. Why? Because we're supposed to be facing our enemy, not running from our enemy. We're supposed to be submitting to God, and we're supposed to be resisting the devil, and he will flee from us. God never said that we're supposed to run from our enemies. Now, He said that we're supposed to flee youthful lusts. But listen, that's not something... There are certain things that we can handle and certain things that God knows that we can't handle. But the conqueror is the aggressor. Now, notice in verse number 35, once again, that there's a list of things that can appear to separate us from Christ. It says here... Tribulation. Tribulation would be tragic circumstances. Notice it talks about distress. Distress is a hopeless situation. Notice that it talks about persecution. Persecution we could put under the category of dealing with people. We're dealing with people. People, some people like us and some people don't like us. And, you know, as, as we get older, we find out that it's, it's almost impossible to please everyone. In fact, it is impossible. I mean, for everyone that likes you, 
if, if other people really got to know you, they, they may not like you. And so we deal with people problems, with persecutions. How about famine? Famine would be an uncontrollable uh, downturn in the economy, something that you can't control. There are a lot of people that are dealing with a type of famine today. They've lost their jobs or companies are going under and they're struggling financially and not because of anything that they had any control over. Hey, how about nakedness? That would be poverty to the, the point of being destitute. Uh, a lot is said about the homeless. Paul's not even talking about the homeless. Do you know that Jesus was homeless? He even said, he said, the foxes have dens and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Jesus was homeless. But you go beyond being homeless, that nakedness, there were people, there have been people in human history that were so destitute that they couldn't even find or buy or beg enough clothes to put on their back. That's pretty severe in my opinion. And then you have peril. You know, we're dealing with peril today. Some scary situations. Every time you're in public and somebody sneezes, what do you think? You think, oh, that's peril. That's scary. That's dangerous. And then notice at the end of verse number 35, he talks about the sword, warfare, battle, enemies, people that are trying to harm us and kill us, and an enemy that's trying to conquer us. All of these things can appear to separate us from the love of Christ. You read the history of human war, and boy, the, we could name all kinds of battles and all types of skirmishes in which uh, whoever won and whoever lost, you just scratch your head and you just think, how did that, how did that army lose when they had such superior numbers? Or how did this army win when they were so outnumbered and all the circumstances were against them. Time and time and time we read about war and battle and conquering that was accomplished. And some of it just doesn't make sense. You've seen the portrait of George Washington with his hand in his, in his chest and, uh, and the boat crossing the Delaware. Where they, those, his army, the Continental Army crossed the Delaware River and they fought those Haitian soldiers there in uh, Trenton, New Jersey. And boy, they were outnumbered and that you would have thought that there's no way they could have won that battle. George Washington was in a dire strait. It's either stay on this side of the river and freeze to death and starve to death or we cross over and we put our hands in the providence of God and hopefully something good will happen. That's exactly what happened. That was the turning point of the Revolutionary War. We have our freedom today largely because George Washington was willing to trust in providence. We read about how that Adolf Hitler was basically conquering the world. And then he thought he got arrogant and thought, I can win a two-fronted battle. And he went against Russia with superior forces. But God had a different plan and He sent in the cold, the bitter cold and the snow and the ice and the rain and His soldiers basically were dying of hypothermia. His tanks got bogged down in the mud and Russia was able to overcome them and that was a turning point. I mean, I realize that D-Day and Normandy, 
that that was what we look at as a huge change in the war, but also on the other side was how that God intervened and Russia was able to hold back Hitler and so many of his troops died. You know what? It just, you look at it on paper and it just doesn't make sense. And we could go on and on. The Battle of Iwo Jima and Midway. How about in the Bible? The Battle of Jericho. David and Goliath and Gideon. There's a lot of reasons for victory and there's a lot of reasons for loss, but it's so complex. You have the fighting spirit and the morale of the men. You have the supplies or the lack thereof. You have the weather, which always plays a part in battle. You have the tactic and the game plan that takes place in the war room. You can have a superior army and a bad plan and end up losing and, and not only losing a battle, but ending up losing a war. Superior or inferior numbers and weaponry. Listen, defeat and conquering is a very, very complex proposition. But I will say this this morning. In your Christian life, there are some essentials if you want to enjoy what God has provided in being more than a conqueror. The first thing that I want to say here this morning, the first essential is loyalty. Loyalty. You have to choose whose side that you're on. We live in a day and age when loyalty seems to be a lost virtue. I read about a wealthy old man who was very enthusiastic about his lovely young bride. But sometimes he wondered whether she might have just married him for his money. So he asked, Honey, if I lost all my money, would you still love me? She retorted, Of course I would still love you. Don't be silly. But I would miss you. You know, that loyal, that's the kind of loyalty it seems like that people have today. It's a very convenient, self-serving loyalty, which in reality is not loyalty at all. Moses said in Exodus 32, verse 26, he said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Listen, there is a time when we've got to choose sides and it cannot be, let's kind of wait and see who's, who it looks like is winning. We have to choose side based on who we love and who is most important to us. Joshua was a very loyal servant of Moses, the man of God, and he was very loyal to the Israel people. In Joshua 5 verse 13, when Joshua looks across the river and he sees a man standing there. Now we know that it was, it was Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. And you know what Joshua did? Joshua didn't recognize him as the Lord, and he saw him there, and he goes out and he draws his sword, and he said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Joshua was a loyal man, and he was always concerned about loyalty. Hey, whose side are you on? Are you for us or for our enemies? Because if you're for our enemies, then you're my enemy. Joshua didn't play around with enemies. How about in chapter 24 and verse 15, the famous words, you probably, maybe you have it on a plaque on your door of your house, or maybe you've seen it before, where Joshua said, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Hey, if you, if you love the world and you're going to serve the world, then, 
just have at it because you're going to get all of the all of the victory that the world has to provide. I've got news for you here this morning. The world does not have victory. The world wants to conquer you. And those that love the world rather than loving the Lord have been conquered by the lusts of this world. Elijah there on Mount Carmel, he said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If God's God, then serve Him. How many believers today say, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus Christ, but they live for the world? How long halt ye between two opinions? The essential, the first essential to being more than a conqueror is you've got to be loyal. You've got to choose your side. Secondly, the second essential would be faith. You know, we read in the Word of God, 1 John 5, 4, that whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith is essential to being more than a conqueror. If you have a nominal Christianity, what do I mean by nominal? Just kind of playing around with it a little bit. You're not really passionate about the Lord. You're really not passionate or excited about serving the Lord. You're just kind of getting by and kind of doing the bare minimum. You don't really want to get all the way in, but you want to do just enough so that maybe God will bless you or that He won't punish you, and you're just trying to kind of live your life your way and maybe appease God a little bit. Hey, a nominal Christianity like that is very little help when things go wrong. I think that we've got a little bit of taste in uh, in our life today that how easily that things can get turned upside down. I don't think we're upside down yet. I think we're just a little bit sideways, a little bit of inconvenience. But you know, how easy would it be a little virus or a little crash of the stock market or something happened here? There's so many things that could happen that would turn our life literally upside down. Nominal faith in God is of little help. Courageous belief is not a bandwagon. It often means a willingness to stand alone. You know, this contemporary um, version of Christianity today, uh, how many people that have that type of a belief and worship, what would they do if, um, if their way of worship was not so popular and was not such a bandwagon. Would they really stand for what they stand for? I, I have serious doubts about that. Listen, the size of faith doesn't matter because God is the one that does the moving in our life. It is, if it is my faith that moved the mountain, then the bigger the mountain, the more faith I would need to move it. The bigger the obstacle, the more strength I need to climb it. The more serious the illness, a faith even greater would be required to overcome it. The more serious the sin, the more faith I would need in order to be forgiven. All of those statements kind of make sense. But listen, that's not the way that faith works. Faith doesn't work that way at all, and we thank God for that. 
God is the one that does all of the work. He moves the mountain. He heals the sick. He provides the need. It has nothing to do with the measure of our faith. It has to do with the magnitude of His power. It only takes a little tiny bit of faith in God placed in the right place and the right person and God can do wonderful things. He can open doors and provide needs. Faith is like a key. You know what? If you have a lot of responsibilities, you can pull out your keychain and uh, you you may have all kinds of keys. You ever seen someone that's the custodian of a building? They pull out their key ring and they got about five times the amount of keys as I have on on this key. I used to have more, but we ended up with a master key here for the church. And so I only have to have one key to open about ten different locks. But boy, it used to be all kinds of keys. And I, my, my wife and daughter, they, they don't just have keys. They have to have key fobs upon key fobs and another key fob. I mean... I've borrowed my daughter's car before and she gives me her keys and it's like, I can't put those in my pocket. I mean, my goodness, if it was wintertime and it snowed, I could use that as tire chains. I mean, crazy. Some people have a lot of keys. But you know what? When it comes to faith, it's not how many keys that you have. You can have one little teeny tiny key and that key if it's placed in God and true faith in God, listen, that is that will open up doors and move mountains. And so the second essential for being more than a conqueror is having the right kind of courageous faith. And then my last point this morning, the last essential for being more than a conqueror is endurance. Endurance means finishing despite the odds. You know, Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said later on in the same letter to Timothy, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I read a book called Endurance about that big uh, expedition to the Antarctic and how uh, Shackleton and his men Against the odds, they, they were resilient and they endured great hardness and many, most of them survived. And if you've never read that book, it's an amazing, amazing story. I read a book about Scott O'Grady who was shot down in Bosnia back in the, I believe, early 90s. And it tells how that for days he was in the middle of a pasture with people all around and he was hiding in one bush and couldn't move. Hey, he got so thirsty and dehydrated that, uh, and he couldn't move. He literally, any movement would have revealed his position. And so he's just barely able to move. And one night, he was able to wring out his socks and drink the water that came off of his socks. And he was happy to get it. He he said it, it looked a little bit like mushroom soup. I imagine it didn't taste as good as mushroom soup. Well, maybe it did. I don't know, but... Anyhow, it's an amazing story how that here was a soldier and you know how he got through and how he endured that uh, that hardness. He followed his training. He remembered all of the things that they taught him and he followed that training. And you know what? He found out that it worked. 
hey, if we're going to endure this Christian life and be more than a conqueror, then we're going to have to follow the training and the principles of God's Word. One time there was a little country schoolhouse that was heated by an old-fashioned potbelly coal stove. Some of you perhaps remember those days. A little boy had the job of coming to school early each day, starting the fire to warm up the building. One morning the teacher arrived only to find the building engulfed in flames. The little boy was still inside, so the teacher and some students dragged him out. He had major burns on the lower half of his body. He was taken to a nearby hospital where the doctor told his mother that he probably wouldn't live. The doctor said, it's for the best because he is so badly burned. The brave little boy didn't want to die. He made up his mind he would survive. Others said he was doomed to be a cripple all his life and he'd never walk. The little boy managed to gain strength, although from the waist down he had no motor ability. It seemed hopeless. Ultimately, the boy was released from hospital. Every day his mother would massage his legs, but there was no feeling. One day his mother wheeled him out into the yard. It was a sunny day. Instead of sitting there, the boy threw himself from the chair. He pulled himself across the grass and managed to work his way to the picket fence. With much effort, he raised himself up, stake by stake, dragged himself along the fence. He resolved that he would walk. Every day, he dragged himself to the fence and worked his way along the fence. Through the daily massages, his iron persistent, his resolute determination, he developed the ability to stand up. Eventually, he had enough strength to walk. He began to walk to school. Then later, he started running to school. He entered college and made the track team. Still later, in Madison Square Garden, the boy, now a young man who was never expected to walk, ran the world's fastest mile. Through endurance, Dr. Glenn Cunningham had overcome what others thought was a permanent disability. Listen, folks, we are more than conquerors, but if we are going to enjoy and experience that victory, we've got to have the essentials, loyalty, faith, and then endurance. Now I want to close with this verse in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward His name and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. been talking a little bit about books that I've read and I read another book that was about a sniper by the name of Carlos Hathcock. I'm sure that many have heard of him. He was uh, one of the original snipers that fought in Vietnam. And uh, this man did uh, so much great service for his country in taking out strategic targets. And he served in the life of a sniper. Today, we find it kind of glamorous, kind of for someone who's macho. They think, oh, I want to be a sniper. But the life of a sniper is a life of hardships. I mean, enduring discomfort and so many things that they had, they were required to do in order to accomplish their mission. Carlos Hathcock, he, he endured so many, so many hardships in Vietnam and eventually he got, uh, he was exposed to Agent Orange and 
the latter part of his life, he was completely disabled. Listen, less than six months before his full retirement, the Marine Corps, they deemed him unable to serve. And they removed him from the Marine Corps because of his health issues. Carlos Hathcock was very bitter toward the Marine Corps for all of his suffering and sacrifice. And within six months of getting a full pension, they just said, we're done with you, you can't serve anymore, and we're done. You know what? I think about our service for the Lord, and sometimes we think that it's not doing any good. Sometimes we think that God's not paying any attention. But listen, this fight that we're in is nothing like the Vietnam War. The Bible says, and I remind you for the last time this morning, we are more than conquerors. Jesus Christ, He won the victory for us. We don't have to win it. We just have to receive it. And we just have to practice these essentials in our life in order to enjoy it. What are these essentials? Once again, loyalty, faith, and endurance. Don't give up, folks. God is not unrighteous. He will not forget your work and your labor of love. He will not forget your faithfulness. He will not forget your endurance. God has a crown and God has a reward. And listen, when it's all said and done, no matter how much we suffer in this life, no matter what we have to go through and endure, we've got a home in heaven and that home is with our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget, believer, brothers and sisters, the Word of God makes it clear that we are more than conquerors. We've just got to receive it and we've just got to believe it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for what You've done for us on Calvary's cross. You won the victory. Lord, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Help us to remember this morning that Jesus Christ is our source of victory. Our faith, our endurance, our loyalty. Lord, we owe it all to You. And may we keep our eyes not on ourselves, not on our abilities, not on our past failures or successes, not on our future, but Lord, may we just simply, singly, place our eyes upon our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You for the victory that You've won for us. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.